welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad to have all of our listeners with us this Tuesday. I am Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great, doing great. Weather's a little chilly, not like it is in Atlanta, but uh, we'll survive. Uh, Let's get right to it. Uh, The postscript from last week's show, we interviewed uh, Festo Didactic, the CEO from um, Eatontown, New Jersey, Thomas Lichtenberger, and Dr. Nader Amani from uh, Berlin. He's the CEO. And uh, Mr. Uh, Torsten Shemansky, who's the head of the um, learning center in Eatontown. Um, and uh, the company is 175 divisions throughout the world. They make equipment that helps teach students on about manufacturing and manufacturing technology. Uh, great show. We were at the facility in Eatontown. We were on location, and we did get a tour of the plant. And uh, I think it will be most interesting if you all uh, tune into and not only the show portion, but the video portion as well. Uh, next week. Next week, uh, we are planning to uh, have um, ML Peck from the Institute of Supply Management to discuss the up-and-coming ISM 2017 event, which will be in May in Orlando, Florida, and also the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, otherwise known as FMA, Uh, We're going to have James Warren, who's going to be discussing that up-and-coming event. And uh, we will also have uh, MEP, Manufacturing Extension uh, Program, that's going to be in May in uh, Denver. I don't know if there's going to be much snow left at that point, but uh, it should be a uh, a fun experience in, in any event. So we are promoting the association events and uh, getting a kind of a heads up as to who's going to be there, what the goal is, and uh, we're really looking quite forward to that. A couple of news items. Um, Lockheed and Mr. President-elect Trump uh, we're discussing this week the F-35 costs and the creation of new jobs. And it seems as though Mr. Trump is having an effect um, in these two areas. Um, the contracts for this airplane is $7.19 billion for 90 aircraft. Um, they are talking about a significant uh, decrease in that aircraft. The president of um, Lockheed, uh, Marilyn Houston, uh, met with uh, Mr. Trump, and it looks like they're coming up with a deal that's going to save money, create jobs, and make everybody happy. We'll see how that works out. One other news item that's not really news, and we've been talking about it, and Uh, Even mainstream uh, media have been talking about it for quite a while, and that's the infrastructure investment in this country. It's been determined by a government report that it's going to cost $926 billion to fix bridges, tunnels, roads, and so on. Uh, This report actually came out in 2015, But I think it's quite relevant because not a whole lot has happened in regards to infrastructure rebuilding. Uh, The report came out by the U.S. uh, Transportation uh, Department, and uh, there's a report called the 2015 Status of the Nation's Highways, Bridges, Transit, and Conditions and Performance. Uh, The W, the... uh, um, Address for it is www.fhwa.dot.dot. 
gov front slash policy front slash 2015 CPR. Or the easy way to do it is after you listen to the show, below the player for this program, we will have the URL right there. You can uh, read it. Uh, The reason why we're not going into great detail about it right now is because it is 544 pages long. You know, the government doesn't like doing anything in memo style, but there is a lot of information. I have scanned through it, and some of it is quite surprising. So that is uh, that is it for news today. And, Tim, take it away. We're here with Sean Wang, who is our senior international correspondent, reporting on what's happening in Asia. He'll be talking a bit today on what is happening in China. Sean, welcome back to the show. Hi, Tim. It's nice to be back. Uh, and and yes. hello to you, too, Chang. Yes. So, Chang, what's happening in China? Well, uh, in terms of uh, US, U.S.-China trade, uh, being that these two countries are the biggest trading partners in the world, uh, there are two significant things that happened last week. Just exactly a week ago, uh, Mr. Donald Trump, our president-elect, met with Jack Ma, who is the founder of Alibaba Group. Alibaba Group is the wealthiest group in terms of e-commerce in China. And uh, Jack Ma is probably the wealthiest man in China. I don't know. They have different statistics. Uh, But their meeting is supposedly historical, in in which uh, the press release afterwards, they claim that uh, their discussion will result in to create one million jobs for America's manufacturing industry. So this is why this is an interesting topic for us. And shortly after that, Mr. Michael Pillsbury, which is uh, Mr. Trump's China advisor, held a forum in Beijing. That was just five days ago. And in that forum, they have discussed the future possibility of these two trading partners uh, and the possibility of creating two million jobs for U.S. manufacturing. So we... um, we're waiting to see what's going to happen. Okay, so let's talk about these trading platforms, Alibaba being one and Taobao being another. Um, wasn't Taobao recently put back on the notorious marketplaces blacklist by the Office of the United States Trade Representative for issues of counterfeiting and piracy, and how can we work with them? Well, yes, that's true. Taobao is one of the largest platforms under Alibaba Group, and they do have a notorious history of uh, of counterfeiting and piracy issues. That's why they've been on and off this this uh, notorious marketplace blacklist uh, for several years now. Um, in fact, just as a interesting story, is because. Uh, Jack Ma had the meeting with Donald Trump, yet on Taobao there are uh, merchants selling counterfeit Trump-related merchandise, including the (laughs) Make America Great Again cap and Trump blow-up dolls. Um, Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. But actually, um, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of their discussion for cooperation uh, to – promote e-commerce between the two countries. Taobao is actually a very small portion of that because Taobao is kind of a low-end uh, mom-and-pop shop type, type of uh, platform. It's, uh, main, the main sellers on that platform are uh, C2C. It's a C2C platform, so they, they are backyard growers. They are uh, craftsmen making handicrafts. And, of course, there are some uh, people on there selling counterfeit uh, goods, for example, the other day I, I saw something funny. It is the, uh, they have Gucci Gucci watches, and on this Taobao platform you can actually find Gucci. It, in general, it, this is not going to affect the international trade between U.S. and China because the what is promoted by Alibaba and by Trump for um, sales of U.S. manufactured goods are on a different platform. They will be on an international trading platform mostly called Tmall, which is a B2C platform, a business-to-consumer 
platform, and many American manufacturers actually already have their own flag, flagship store on this platform, including Nike, Adidas, Coach, and even uh, Ocean Spray and Starbucks. And also some retailers have their store on that platform as well, uh, like Target, Macy's, Costco. So all the brand names that you've heard, they're already there. So let me, on the other let, hand, me ask, uh -huh. let me ask you a question, Sean. Let me just go backwards a little bit. Uh, we started the mm -hmm. segment off with the fact that uh, um, Alibaba and, and, and Trump have come up with this uh, plan that uh, we are going to be able to generate a million new jobs in America as a result of Alibaba. Uh, how is that going to work? How are we going to uh, generate a million jobs in America in regards to a Chinese market? I mean, are we going to start selling uh, Make America Great hats here and sell them to China at three times the price? I mean, how is that going to work? It will. Alibaba is actually just a facilitator for trade. They, they employ very few people. Uh, but the market uh, effects of having an international e-commerce platform uh, could be very beneficial. For example... Uh, in China, China is the largest consumer market in the world in terms of numbers of people. And also, China has a massive middle class, currently at 0.3 billion now, and will expect it to grow to half a billion uh, within the decade. With this growing middle class, people have a higher demand for uh, for higher quality goods, for imported goods, and American goods is actually on top of the list. As, as it is all over the world. As it is all over the world, yes. But in the past, due to uh, the difficulty of getting these goods to the consumers, most consumers don't really have access to uh, the American manufactured goods. And some of the, your local retailers may be able to understand the situation better because uh, for many years now, uh, China tourists going to the U.S., they have been stopping at local retail shops and buying up all the luxury goods and all the high-end quality products that they can get their hands on. Uh, some people are saying, well, is, is Chinese consumers are so rich. Actually, I I believe being rich is not the issue. It's not the wealth. It's rather that these products are not available, not yet available uh, in China, in this market. That's why if we create a situation where these, where American manufactured products can easily be sold into the China market with some guarantees that these goods will be original, because the other problem in the China market is that the, uh, the prevailing existence of counterfeit goods, sometimes you don't really know if you're buying a, the real thing or not. Well, in the, in the U.S., you know you're buying the real thing. Meanwhile, uh, the goods how, that are being, meanwhile, the goods that are being purchased by uh, Chinese tourists uh -huh. coming to the United States to take back original goods, which are then wind up being re-engineered, and made in the basements of manufacturing plants and sold as uh, original. Uh, that's still an ongoing problem with the, uh, the, the Chinese government has been uh, apparently making believe that they are dealing with. Is that, yes. is that, is that a fairly, fairly true well, statement? That is certainly a, a problem. That is certainly a problem. Uh, the government is cracking down on uh, counterfeiting, including uh -huh. cracking down on environmental issues, as we uh, discussed before. Uh, uh -huh. All through last year, the producer price has been raising in China because of the cracking down and the liquidation issues in, uh, in raw material, environmental issues, counterfeiting, and other illegal practices or uh, problems that are being uh, resolved. So in the future, I believe there will be a much better uh, trade 
trade environment. Uh, for example, the, this Alibaba platform, uh, Alibaba company has actually hired a, a, an American citizen, uh, Mr. Matthew Basur, who is the uh, anti-counterfeit and international intellectual property protection uh, vice president for the group. He used to work as a senior legal counsel for Apple and Pfizer in the U.S. Okay. So this now, is so uh, all the forces are uh -huh. yes. So what we're talking about here, Chung, is U.S. manufacturers of almost any size exporting their products to China. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. But not all the U.S. manufacturers will benefit from uh, having a, an e-commerce platform because uh, some products are clearly cheaper made in China. So what, what I think will be mostly beneficial to will be the high-end consumer goods manufacturers in the U.S. and patented products and items uh, and food and cosmetics and clothing items uh, because these items are directly ingested into your body or touches your skin and at this point uh, China produced products of that kind are not uh, uh, very reliable. The consumers want better quality, they want more reliability, and foreign products are better in this market. Actually, the already uh, the Alaskan fishermen and Washington cherry farmers are benefiting from from this demand, this market. Interesting. Well, of course, one of the issues that's going to come up here is going to be financing. I guess Alibaba has a financing arm. I know the Export-Import Bank of the U.S., also has uh, a, an ex a, sorry, a financing mechanism to help these manufacturers. Uh, what does Alibaba have? Yes. Well, Alibaba, in order actually in the, um, to create their vast, vast uh, market and their supplier base, their seller base, Alibaba has created their own financing mechanism using their platform using their platform that all the payments are paid through their platform so they get the money first and then the suppliers get the money later but then they can lend the suppliers money up front to produce whatever they want to produce so a lot of startup companies are benefiting from Alibaba's finance options especially the very very small uh, manufacturers or startup companies and I believe once entering the US market they will also be uh, promoting this, these services in the U.S. as well. Uh, uh, Mr. Pillsbury made a comment um, regarding, um, quote, unquote, the road of making America great again leads to Beijing. Uh, that's rather contrary to the uh, Trump methodology. Uh, is everything that we've been talking about? <laughs> Uh, basically, uh -huh. uh, the, the great, the great again America leading to Beijing is that the philosophy that you think is going to work? I think that's more of a rhetoric for the for his audience, which certainly includes uh, Chinese government officials. But um, the idea that uh, U.S. and China must work together and trade together to be more prosperous, I think, is certainly the right concept. It doesn't matter what Mr. Trump said before in his campaign trail or what Mr. Pillsbury uh, explained in, in the past, but uh, these two countries must work together because they are both the largest exporters and at the same time they are the largest consumer markets, uh, one in terms of dollars, one in terms of population in this world. Well, I, I, I agree with you that uh, the, uh, the politicking and pre-election rhetoric is exactly that, and that uh, each country, uh, without a doubt, needs each other, uh, being that we are such close uh, trading partners. So on that note, let me just uh, switch topics here for a mm -hmm. moment. Uh, I think we... I think we uh, have done enough uh, politicking about Alibaba and Pillsbury and so on. But give us a, a general overview of uh, what's happening in manufacturing, per se, in in China. Is it is it picking up? Is it soft? Uh, 
is the closing of plans. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the value of the UN is it uh, having any effect on uh, yeah. their exports? Uh, I realize that's a long question. We only have mm -hmm. a few more moments of the show, so do the best that you can on uh, answering one of my lengthy questions. Certainly, certainly, Lou. My pleasure. Uh, the manufacturing index-wise, it is certainly picking up. The uh, also in the this is year end, so it's right before the Chinese Lunar New Year, and all the manufacturers are rushing to get their orders in to to get their production out. Um, at the same time, however, the, the entire manufacturing industry is actually going through a lot of pain and contraction, as we have explained in the past months, that uh, due to several factors coming together, one is the, uh, the over uh, printing of currency in China's industry. Since 2008, China has repeatedly ingested money into the market to, uh, to, to, to stimulate growth, similar to U.S. quantitative easing. Uh, however, at this point, uh, all the things are coming together that this is the point that you're going to have to pay your debts. So that's why we saw the raise in prices, and at the same time, environmental issues are coming to uh, also coming into liquidation stage that uh, many companies are being shut down or ordered to stop production, um, including some very, very large um, privately owned uh, companies that employ many people. So uh, we will be looking at uh, more companies closing down in the near term. But I think in the long term, this will make the, all the manufacturing industries a bit more healthy and a bit more productive. Uh, going on a again a slightly different topic here uh, uh -huh. with regards to the manufacturing and the exporting of steel, uh, where Trump is talking about uh, imposing uh, outrageous tariffs on uh, on steel products and such, uh, is that of uh, any major concern, or are they looking at that as just uh, uh, Trump bravado? Ah. Uh, I don't think it's actually of major concern because this is more rhetoric. I believe the number that Trump pointed out was uh, was 40 percent or or something like that. So right, right. Uh, unthinkable amounts of tax that would make importing impossible. Well, for some of the uh, products that the uh, for many products, the U.S. market really relies on China and other low-cost countries to provide cheap products to supply the U.S. market, including the consumer market. So when Trump said he's not interested in uh, international trade and he wants to make America great again by imposing taxes on imports, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe in order, to, uh, in order to realize his promise, maybe he will impose taxes on a few items, but you can be sure that these few items will have no effect, very little effect on the U.S. Uh, consumers or manufacturers. So it will be things that basically U.S. don't import. You impose 40% taxes, and that's fine. Nobody cares. Well, I think that you've got a pretty good handle on that, and we appreciate uh, your input on this. Uh, Tim? John, thank you for, again, your excellent report uh, coming out of China. We will have Chung on again next month. He's typically on the third show of each month where we'll talk a little bit about China, and then we'll probably get some input on some of the other economies around Asia. But, Chung, thank you for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you, Tim and Lou. It's a pleasure being here. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings. 
simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are here with Royce Lowe, who is our Senior International Correspondent for the EU and the UK. We're always excited to talk to him about those two markets, particularly uh, what's happening there and their views about what's happening here. Royce, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Tim. Good to be here. In, uh, you know, we're always watching this Brexit issue. Uh, everyone was uh, aghast that it happened. Everyone was fearful of what would take place. And it seems mm-hmm. to be, so far, kind of a non-event. What's your view of it over there? Well, it's a, it's in, it's a non-event, uh, I suppose, as far as, um, as far as the manufacturing scene goes. Um, the, <clears throat> the manufacturing scene has, has actually improved quite a lot, apart from the first month of, apart from the month of July. Uh, it's improved uh, tremendously, and uh, right at this time, it's uh, it's looking it's looking very good. Uh, not forgetting, of course, that there was um, there's about a 12, 13, depending on which date is, uh, 14% um, devaluation of the pound. But the actual um, the actual manufacturing scene in the UK uh, is uh, is good, and uh, exports are good, the production is good, new orders are good. And uh, the unemployment rate is uh, is low. Now that is um, that is the manufacturing side of it. Um, the uh, the Brexit thing. Well, yeah, there's there's so much news really uh, on the Brexit scene. But uh, the big one uh, of late is um, is a chap called uh, Sir Ivan Rogers, who was the he was the sort of uh, big shot in in Europe, and he's been in Europe for quite a number of years, and he he knows the ropes, uh, to put it mildly. And uh, he just quit. Uh, he was the guy that said uh, Brexit would more than likely take uh, ten years rather than two. And uh, he's he's been he's been realistic. He. Uh, he wrote uh, he wrote a letter to his staff when he quit, and uh, he said uh, that basically that uh, he didn't think that the um, that the government um, was um, was really on its toes. He he, he doesn't think that they're um, uh, that he thinks that they have a lack of there's a lack of direction at the heart of the government and. Uh, that the UK uh, diplomats in Brussels need to be better informed. It's as though there's a there's a breakdown in communication between the two. Not to forget, of course, that this guy is uh, politically neutral. is a is a civil servant, so he, he, you can't accuse him of being um, one way or the other. But the theory is that he's been eased out. I mean, he was he was due to leave anyway in uh, October, November, but uh, he's quit and they say he's been eased out and, and he's, um, <coughs> he's, he's been replaced. Um, they, uh, Theresa May, uh, who's been uh, sort of uh, not coming out with, with her plan uh, as to what she wants to do, uh, whether she wants to stay in the single market or whether she wants to uh, be able to control immigration, etc., etc. Uh, all this is supposed to be announced, I think it's tomorrow. Um, and uh, they're expecting the pound. <laughs> so the pound's slipping already again, uh, based on okay. what she might say. Well, that's, uh, uh, that's going to be troubling. So I'm it's sure wait and see again. Yeah, yeah. And any sense of what she might say? Uh, no, 
Quite frankly, no. Uh, but uh, she, she is she is probably going to insist on. Uh, she, she does want control of the borders. Uh, in other words, um, that's more important to her. It would seem at this time than staying in the single market. Uh, mm -hmm. But here again, uh, th this all depends on uh, on what Europe's going to let her do. Uh, you know, this is what this guy, Sir Ivan Rogers, is talking about: is that they have no plan, uh, and they also they're very, very short of skilled negotiators, and they could be eaten to pieces by the uh, by the Europeans. And is <laughs> it uh, uh, that the UK government has no plan, or neither party has a plan? No, no, the UK government. Uh, okay. Is, uh, basically, I mean, I mean, she's going to come out with what she calls a plan tomorrow, uh, but um, nobody really knows to what extent uh, that she, she wants to move. I mean, she is committed to uh, to Brexit, even though she didn't uh, she didn't vote well. She didn't vote for it. She wasn't for it before it happened. Right. But, uh, right. I, I, yeah, and and the people that uh, the people that she's nominated, she's nom I mean, she's got Boris Johnson as foreign secretary. He's a bit of a <laughs> he's a bit right. of a joker, Boris, and uh, a couple of other people who were basically she she has created positions for a couple of um, uh, you know the pretty pretty experienced people who are, who are going to oversee all this, who are going to do the negotiating. Uh, be the head negotiators, but there's still a, an awful lot of people that are required uh, behind the scenes to, uh, to put the thing to bed. So what it's, about it say from, it's, Sorry? Uh, I'm sorry. What about it from the uh, EU side? Are they going to take a very hard stance uh, with the UK? I think... Uh, I think it depends to a large extent what the UK comes with, uh, and uh, we won't know this until uh, for, for, a, for a couple of days. Uh, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that they're certainly not going to give anything away. Uh, uh, that they do have some good, uh, that they do have some good negotiators. That that's what Sir Ivan said when he left. He said that we we don't have the skills, but they certainly do. And um, it's, uh, it's it's all going to be a question of uh, uh, does the UK think they can uh, they can cherry pick and uh, just because they're going to they insist on uh, free move uh, well not free movement but controlling the borders uh, that doesn't mean they're going to be able to stay in the single market and of course if if they come out of the single market then. Um, uh, it, it might be World Trade Organization, but World Trade, Trade Organization as the UK, not as Europe. Uh, I, I think Europe will be tough on them. Yeah, I, I don't okay. think Europe. I don't think Europe wants wants a war on this because they they they, they didn't. I don't think Europe really wanted them to go. Uh, but um, <laughs> you know, but that's the way it is. Oh, it's democracy. <laughs> yeah. uh, Royce, Royce uh, kind of uh, leaving Brexit behind for a moment, uh, I'd like to address a couple of other uh, issues as it relates to uh, manufacturing in uh, Europe. I'd like to get, you know, on, on, on the topics that you can speak speak on, as to what's going on in, uh, you know, for example, the aerospace world, the machinery builders world, uh, mining and metals, uh, uh, imports and exports from uh, the, the EU to the U.S. I know that the, you know, the U.S. dollar, of course, is uh, uh, very strong and uh, causing us problems in exporting uh, presently, but. Uh, give us uh, some uh, insight into some of these other uh, manufacturing uh, topics. Well, the, the, the aerospace um, the aerospace situation is, is uh, as, as you know, it's, it's Airbus over here, um, and the Airbus uh, even they seem to. Uh, it seems to be a race with uh, with Boeing as to who's uh, as to who's the uh, the better of the two, uh, um, they're both pretty good. They're both they're both busy. 
um, the uh, the automotive you know you know all about European automotive. Um, the the latest the latest news I have I I, I don't have it broken down so much by uh, machine builders and what have you, but uh, I, I do hear of late that um, intermediate and uh, investment goods are picking up uh, quite substantially, and export orders are picking up quite substantially. Even uh, even France is is is, is looking really good uh, these days. The, um, the the exports of um, of, uh, of equipment and and goods from Europe uh, is has picked up to the to the well it's picked up to the best uh, level for uh, what is 68 months so all all is good on that on that score um, as I say Lou uh, the actual breakdown of uh, of goods. Uh, uh, I can't quite frankly give you, but I can tell you that uh, exports as such uh, to the U.S. and to uh, and to the U.K. U.K. Europe, of course, are still trading, and uh, and to Asia, and the U.K. has has uh, seen a uh, is actually at the best uh, level that it's been for for two and a half years. So from that point of view. Uh, all looks all looks positive, and it, it's sort of the uh, the wind that's blown across from the from the United States, as they say. This is what uh, I've I've had a look through the French press uh, quite a bit too, and uh, they're uh, they're saying that uh, the wind has blown from the U.S. over to Europe, and uh, the the, um, the situation has picked up there in the last four or five months, and it's it's, it's picking up here. It's uh, they are they are pretty positive about manufacturing uh, at the moment because, uh, as you know, we uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes things happen that we uh, over which we have no control. Yeah, we we have one of those major events happening here. Also, something going on that we have little or no control over. But All I don't right. want to get in. But I don't want to get <laughs> no. into politics. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, just to give you a little insight as to what's going on over here, uh, uh, things are picking up. Our PMI numbers are uh, really taking off uh, very well. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, we had a uh, the last two months of the year, uh, the PMI was very strong, which usually doesn't happen that way, but it gives us a good segue into uh, – a beginning first quarter uh, with uh, a, a great amount of uh, strength. So we're looking mm-hmm. at things very optimistically because overall, as you know, that the U.S. Uh, has been uh, weak uh, in terms of uh, manufacturing over the last uh, two years. And yeah. I, uh, we're feeling uh, – quite optimistic about uh, 2017 and uh, I think it's partly because we got the election behind us and now we'll see what uh, mm-hmm. what's going to be generated as a result of that. Um, right. I, I know there's lots of questions not only here but over there in Europe as to you know what 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 are Americans thinking uh, but again I don't want to get into that topic. Uh, but uh, but the, it, it does seem to be uh, picking. Everyone's pretty much uh, optimistic, mm-hmm. and it seems as though that uh, new budget money is uh, available. Uh, uh, capital expenditures are picking up. New orders mm-hmm. are picking up. Inventories yeah. are going down, so that's a good sign also because they got to mm-hmm. replenish. So all in all, uh, I would say that we're collectively uh, looking at a pretty good beginning of uh, 2017. Would you, what do you the, think, uh, Tim? Yeah. I think it's the same way. Uh, and just, just to kind of wrap this segment up, uh, Royce, I, I'm just wondering why we ask about Brexit and it. EU and the UK, is this going to have any effect on manufacturing or are all boats going to rise in a rising tide and it's just a matter of who will tax who, who for what? Yeah, I, I, I think um, that the, the actual nitty-gritty that would, that would affect uh, manufacturing 
Tim will will not be seen for quite some time. It's gonna it's gonna take uh, starting from next month, the end of March uh, this year. It's gonna take uh, supposedly it's gonna take two years before uh, before the UK is out of Europe and uh, and uh, any um, any major uh, trade issues uh, that uh, that are to come will come after the the two years at least. That's that's the way I'm reading it right now. So okay. for, for now, is it just the status quo as it was? Is how it is. It's, 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 the, it's the status quo with a weak pound. <laughs> 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 so in other words, uh, so in other words, um, you know, sort of wait and see that. I, I don't think the pound's going to come back to where it was before Brexit. Uh, at least, at least that's what I'm that's what I'm reading. Well, thank you for the uh, insightful uh, information have, on, on that. Go ahead. I, I just have one little, um, one little story. There's a, there's a guy, in, um, uh, there's a, a guy born of German parents in, uh, in London, who has been told to take a citizenship test to secure a passport. That's the kind of thing. That's the kind of story that you read from time to time since Brexit. Right. In other words, right. he, he, in other words, he was born in the UK. His parents were his parents were from Germany, but they are obviously citizens. He's obviously a, uh, he's obviously a citizen, but he's been told to take a citizenship test to secure a passport. That's obviously a boo boo, but it's the sort of thing. That kind of thing is is, is happening. Um, anyway. Brexit we is Brexit, up. and uh, Brexit will uh, will occur. So we call and, uh, those type, and, we call those type of things here federal follies. <laughs> right. So, right. So you can right. borrow that if you wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, not to forget, of course, we've got elections coming up, but we'll talk about those later. Yeah, but we win. We win at that, though. Sorry. We we win at having outrageous elections. Right, right. But we've got so, we've got a few coming up here, and uh, they'll be interesting too. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us, Rice. We appreciate you having me uh, being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take, take care. Bye bye. We're speaking with Norbert Orr, who's our senior international correspondent. Norbert covers. 18 international PMI surveys that are done around the world. He also covers some that are also done in uh, the U.S. that you may not have heard of before. Occasionally he touches on those. So we are always excited to talk to Norbert about what's happening in the world of manufacturing. Norbert, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. Always good to be with you. So what's uh, what are the standouts with the PMI? It looks like everybody's moving according to the scattergram that Roy put together, up and to the right, as it were. Yeah, uh, overall, things look uh, uh, significantly improved uh, December over November uh, and look to have the potential to, to stay that way. You know, if we look at, at the macro view of the economy right now, some of the things that uh, – that are positive. Uh, one, monetary policy uh, continues to be uh, positive. Uh, there's a, a lot of liquidity. There's still a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines around the world and uh, uh, potential for investment uh, there. Uh, overall economic growth, uh, the ISM number, we'll talk about that specifically, but uh, all of the surveys right now show uh, the most significant growth that we've seen in, uh, in quite some time. Uh, fiscal policy, uh, the Congress uh, uh, wants to try to, to do things, but uh, do it in a balanced budget type of uh, environment, uh, it seems. So that would be a positive. Uh, and then lastly, from a, a manufacturing standpoint, we have uh, relative price stability. And I say relative, uh, we are seeing commodity prices go up, uh, but frankly, uh, they've been at such a low level that uh, it, it hasn't uh, had a return to be in the business. It hasn't had a return to uh, develop new 
sources, uh, new mines, whatever it takes uh, uh, to, to, to grow. So those things are all uh, positive. The dollar uh, is positive from a U.S. standpoint uh, uh, for sure. In terms of liabilities, um, uh, you know, we have some real demographic issues. Uh, I've talked for quite some time about the, the fact that Italy uh, is in the process of going from a population of 90 million people down to around 50 million people. So uh, they have this huge debt, and they're going to have fewer people to, uh, to pay that. So there's some, some real opportunities there. Nor Norbert, I have to stop you a minute. Where are the 40 million people going to? They can't uh, all be 90 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, the easy, it's, it's the birth rate that's the problem. It's the, it's the people that aren't crea uh, created, Lou. Uh, and Italy's birth rate is not replacing the population. And wow. uh, as we've seen from other parts of Europe, uh, uh, they found that uh, really strong immigration isn't the solution to the problem either. So if you have a low birth rate and you don't want immigration, it's hard to sustain that. Now, interestingly, Russia is going through the same thing. Russia's got a population of 130 million, and it's falling. And so uh, Russia wants to be this world power, and uh, it's almost uh, uh, a certainty that you can't be that world power with a significantly declining population. So what, nobody wants their... to immigrate to Russia, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the population slide look like uh, in Russia? Uh you know, uh, they don't have as good a numbers as, as we have on Italy in right. regard to that, uh, uh, Lou. But I would say it's, it's probably within this generation going to go down from 130 million to 110. Would That's be significant. A, a good guess. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And and you you stop particularly when you stop to think about debt. Uh, that there's fewer people to pay back. Uh, the, the, the debt that's taking place and so uh, it's also fewer people to pay for welfare programs etc uh, so um, uh, it presents real real challenges that uh, I think people have got to uh, uh, got to deal with and I, I think it, it makes the uh, European community that much more difficult to execute because you've got a number of countries there that uh, are are in the same predicament, uh, or their social welfare programs, for instance, France with the short work week and uh, and so on. Those become uh, an even greater challenge. Not even to mention the month of August. <laughs> right. Uh, they do. They do like their six weeks vacation, and three of them come in August typically. And so that's right. Uh, there, there's not a uh, there, there's not a emphasis placed on productivity uh, like well, I think we do. We, we want to see wages grow, but we also want uh, a lot of that growth to come through productivity. I think the Italians may have a better idea about their living and lifestyles than perhaps other countries. You know, they like their six weeks vacation. They like the three of them in August. They like their siestas in the afternoon and their wines at the evening and waking up late in the morning. So uh, you know, why would you want to change that, right? <laughs> right. Who wants to change that? That's good living. To do that. And about um, debt, who cares about debt? Print more money. <laughs> Now, the well, bigger uh, question is, uh, Norbert, what about, as we're hearing and experiencing here, and, and also afflict uh, the EU, the skills gap? That has to be dramatically exacerbated in Italy. Yeah. Uh, the the thing I found, uh, I, I've got uh, relatives in, uh, in Rome, and I, I found with them that uh, the skills gap is not anywhere near as great as the job gap, job gap uh, of uh, people being underutilized in that economy. Uh, cousins that, that I have, uh, uh, the, only, the only one that has a skill that they're being compensated for at the level of that skill 
is is a doctor, and she does uh, fairly well under the Italian system to do that. But her husband has a degree in finance, and uh, he's got a job that's far less uh, 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 Qualification when we talk about qualifications that are they're far less than uh, his qualifications are much greater than his job uh, that he's able to get and that seems to be not only them but among their friends and so on. A lot of that was created by the formation of the euro because the euro uh, the Italians were big big losers on the euro. Uh, everything immediately was about 20% more expensive in Italy, and it just slowed the economy down tremendously when it happened. Right. Okay. And I'm assuming it still hasn't come back. Uh, that's correct. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the reasons they're looking at possibility ex possibility of exiting the euro. The, the only problem is. Uh, they don't have a currency. You know, the UK. All of this was possible because they had they kept their currency. So comparatively, it's much easier for them to do uh, a Brexit uh, than it is for the Italians to to try to do something because they would have to create a currency, and valuing that currency in this environment would be very very difficult. They ought to use the currency. They ought to use the currency that they were using during the Second World War. It's about as worth as much. <laughs> well, we, we all remember that it was valued in millions, uh, right, uh, right? Because it had been uh, devalued so many times. Uh, well, so this that, is their you know, opportunity to reset the lira. Uh, exactly, exactly, uh, uh, Tim. And uh, whether or not they'll get there, I think it's going to be pretty hard because uh, the EU is going to clamp down, particularly. Uh, the, the amount of debt, that, how much debt should they transfer out if they exit the EU? Because the EU has significant debt. So uh, I, I, I just think that's a whole different level of complexity than what the Brits are, are going through. Right. Okay. So, so if things are uh, moving up and to the right. Um, right. Where where what? else are things just strong? Go ahead. Well, the, that's what I was going to get to is. Uh, you know, we saw a good month not only in the U.S. And, and one of the ways that we look at this is, uh, as you mentioned, we look at 18 countries. And we want to first know which countries are growing. And then if they're growing at a slower rate than the month before or a faster rate than the month before. So obviously growing and strengthening is one quarter of the of the quadrant. And uh this month we we had ten uh, countries that were growing and strengthening, uh, and we saw the U.S. manufacturing sector doing that. We saw the U.S. non-manufacturing sector growing. Germany, Australia, uh, the eurozone in general, the uh, U.K., Japan, uh, China. One uh, both China surveys were in the growing and strengthening column, which has been a rarity. Um, and so we see some solid growth taking place in Asia, some solid growth in Europe, some solid growth in the United States. So uh, these are pretty good times for that. Uh, the losers, uh, if we look at who's contracting and contracting at a faster rate, uh, we would find India. Uh, India is trying to get off of hard currency and, and put everything electronic and uh, it slowed down their economy significantly because of that. Uh, and then uh, Brazil has chronic issues uh, that we've discussed in the past that um, uh, Brazil is, is just in a deep, dark economic funk right now. Uh, and then South Korea was contracting slightly uh, but getting better uh, as they go. So. Globally, we look at a picture that uh, is positive for both manufacturing and non-manufacturing. So, one of the questions, one of the areas that I know that you do a survey on, I know it's on your scattergram, and that we watch here in the U.S. is Texas, a large economy, right. which is uh, you know how large it is compared to the others, and feel free to share that. What's Texas doing? How's Texas looking? Well, Texas is, uh, is continuing to recover. I follow uh, two sets of numbers on Texas. 
one of those is the uh, manufacturing survey from Texas, and this month it was uh, at 50.8 up from 50.5. Uh, not uh, rapidly growing, but considering the fact that the the oil uh, petroleum economy is is slowly coming back and improving, and uh, if uh, oil prices can stay between fifty and sixty dollars, we'll continue to see uh, that happening as far as uh, as as far as Texas is concerned. The uh, other number that I follow uh, out of Texas is the uh, uh, Houston Manufacturing Survey, and that is up uh, to 50.7 this month. So we, we see both uh, the overall Texas survey and the Houston survey uh, at, at least uh, showing uh, slight growth, and that's what it has to do in order to come back. Uh, uh, and as uh, if the current if the new administration is more energy favorable. Uh, I think we would expect to see the Texas uh, manufacturing economy continue to, to recover. Uh, you know, three of the top ten cities in the United States population-wise are in Texas with Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. Um, so uh, it, it's an important piece of, of the economy, probably 10% uh, or better of, of the overall economy comes out of Texas. So the, mm. the oil economy is important. Now, in terms of China and manufacturing, we were just talking with our uh, senior international correspondent over in uh, Asia, and Trump was over there talking with Jack Ma about job creation and getting some of our manufacturers to export more goods to China. Uh, realistic, uh, Norbert, or not so much? Uh, well, I think it's the right conversation to have. Uh, because we ought to always be uh, be doing some of that. Uh, I'm not sure we can be as successful as uh, as, as some would would want us to be in terms of uh, repatriating jobs or uh, how much we can sell into those markets. Uh, the the truth is our, our um, in. In some industries, our people are really good. Our companies are really good at selling into foreign markets. Uh, GE, for instance, got a lot of criticism for moving uh, its uh, medical uh, uh, CAT scan, et cetera, unit to China. Uh, but most of their business is in China, and they've done extremely well. So when it comes to products like that, the Chinese are very open and receptive because they don't have a com comparable product. Uh, they also uh, put pressure on manufacturers to bring uh, production to China if if that's where their biggest market is, and it makes some sense to uh, for, for them to do that, I guess. Um, but... Um, uh, it's it's terribly difficult uh, to get uh, some of those products moved. Uh, you know, if we, if we look at what the Chinese have been successful with us, it's consumer products, uh, the, uh, the TVs, uh, those types of things. Uh, uh, we see uh, foreign manufacturers moving into the appliance market, and uh, they're struggling with that. Uh, they've had quality problems. They haven't been making this, the product that they're uh, putting out in the marketplace for very long. So much tougher to do that. Their, their automotive industry, uh, considering the uh, 1.7 uh, billion people, and I think their sales for new automobiles from China manufacturing is only somewhere around 3 million. Uh, you would think that they would look to really capitalize on that. Uh, well, and I think that they are, but they also uh, understand that uh, uh, the mass transit system works uh, for, for others. I was in uh, Beijing and needed to get to Tianjin, and uh, uh, they have a high-speed train running between the two, and so that makes tremendous sense uh, because it was only about 75 miles, I think, uh, or something along with I remember it wasn't that that far. But right. uh, uh, by car, that's a four-hour trip in China. Right, and right. So oh, wow. uh, 
the, there's less, uh, you know, the, they're not buying cars for the family vacation. They're, uh, uh, mostly they're buying them because they can. Right. And, right. Well, you have to replace the rickshaws. Right. They well, don't they still have a anymore. tremendous number of scooters and, and so Yes, on. they do. Uh, they, yes, they do. They, too many, so. Well, four hours for 75 miles is that not that unusual in the United States if you're going from Los Angeles to San Diego at <laughs> Yeah, but that that bullet train can do 75 miles in about uh, 15 minutes or less. Right. Yeah, they, they right. peak out at about 180 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they're 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 moving quite rapidly. Uh, uh, I, I don't think those trains are as much of a solution for us as they are for over there. We just don't have the population density. Uh, and and then we also have the need, if you go from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles on a high-speed train, once you get to Los Angeles, the probability is you still need some uh, a rental car. Uh, yes, right. To get wherever you want to go because Los Angeles is so spread out. And then, of course, who's who's the uh, politician who's going to bring up the idea to spend ten billion dollars to institute a bullet train system? I, I don't think well, that's going to happen. There, there's a few of them out there, and they're working on that in California. They're working on that uh, that connection. Uh, right. But uh, just like as you go around the country, I. I I, I like to try to ride public transportation from the airport to my downtown hotel or wherever I'm going and uh, find unique ways of uh, of getting there using public transportation. Uh, but the thing that's consistent, except at absolute rush hour, there's nobody riding much of our public transportation. Uh, we, we have a rush in the morning, a rush in the evening, but the people are using it during the day. Uh, not happening that much. So most of these things are loss leaders uh, in the area where they've got them, where they've got light rail systems and so on. Uh, very few of those are paying for themselves. And then of course you have, then of course you have uh, India where you have traffic all the time and uh, there's no public transportation. And if a cow decides to sit down in the middle of a highway, <laughs> he, he does, and that's the end of uh, moving forward. Yeah, if you if, take India for example, the, the way the population is situated and everything. If you take where somebody lives and uh, put a three-mile radius around that, they rarely ever go out of that uh, that area. They're looking for jobs okay. in the, within that distance because they just can't be, they they can't uh, uh, mobilize further than that uh, within reasonable times. Sure, sure. I think one of the scary things in uh, India is when you come to a traffic circle and everybody goes in any direction they want. So yeah. that's, that's the mindset. They can go across, around, left, right. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they have their share of uh, motor scooter accidents. Uh, and well, then Norbert, some, uh, uh, yeah, to wrap up this segment, uh, and as we look into 2017, what are going to be the strong hotspots for manufacturing? Uh, as you see it, uh, you know, pick a market. You watch 18. Well, uh, I, I think we've got to get back in, in manufacturing to uh, to where uh, we see companies investing in new technology, uh, uh, new assets. Uh, th there's been too much in the last number of years, uh, too many companies investing in buying back their own stock. And uh, though that's one way of using cash, uh, to me, it's, uh, it really says uh, we don't think we have a means of growing our business. We've got cash, and uh, we don't know what else to do with it, so we're going to buy it back, which uh, I, I think is very artificial uh, compared to new investment. We don't get the multiplier effect within the economy from that. So I, I think a, a lot uh, of that's going to happen. You know, we, we saw this last time that we had shovel-ready jobs, and uh, as it turned out, they didn't even have the shovels. 
right. <laughs> and uh, so we've got to see uh, some growth in the manufacturing sector, and that's got to come from economic growth. And let me touch very, very briefly. Uh, my manufacturing is at 54.7 this month. Uh, that's up a couple of points. Uh, it's a strong number. It puts us at closer to 4% growth in GDP than we've been in quite some time. And if we can sustain that growth in the manufacturing sector and growth in the overall economy at around 4%, it'll make a difference because then sales will grow, industries will grow, uh, opportunities will grow uh, from that. So, uh, you know, we, we need a growth agenda in order to stimulate the economy. It'll help us. It'll help uh, Europe. It'll help Asia. Uh, everybody will prosper because of that. So um, December was a, a, a great start if, if that's sustainable. Uh, and what we're seeing is that manufacturing and non-manufacturing are getting back to their traditional relationship where non-manufacturing is growing faster, but, uh, but manufacturing growth is su sufficient to sustain a strong manufacturing economy. And I think you were the one who mentioned that manufacturing really needs about a 2% GDP just to uh, continue to operate. And anything above that, you're going to see some investment. But anything at or below that, we won't. Is that right? That's, that's exactly the case. And that, that's a good uh, watermark, Tim, uh, that it, uh, we, we have to be above 2% growth in the overall economy in order to help drive what takes place in the manufacturing economy. Well, thank you for joining us again. We always appreciate your insights. I wish we had more time for you, Norbert. Uh, we will talk with you again next month. We want to encourage people to listen to this segment to consider being part of the surveys that uh, Norbert Orb puts together for an organization called Strategus Research Partners. And if you Google Strategus Research Partners, you can find them, and his email is N-O-R-E at strategusrp.com if you would like to participate. doesn't matter when you listen to this podcast. If you're a manufacturer and you want copies of the two terrific reports that Norbert puts together, we encourage you to get those from him by participating in the service in the, his research. Norbert, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Norbert. See you next month. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.